This podcast is sponsored by Made in God's Image, the 2022 Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. Log on reformedevents.org and hear more at the conclusion of today's podcast. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. God has intended that preaching be a pastoral act, an act of shepherding love. It's not just an exercise in exposition. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master, joined as always by my good friend and co-host James Dolezal. James, how are you today? I'm doing well, Jonathan. Looking forward to our conversation with our guest. Yes, I am as well. Uh, Our guest today is David Strain. He is the senior minister at First Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi, and he's here to talk to us uh, about his recent book on expository preaching. Now, it's part of a a larger series that's being undertaken through PNR, uh, our friends at PNR, called The Blessings of the Faith. And so each of the books is aimed at the blessing of these things that are distinctive to our own um, Reformed understanding of the faith. And this one is on expository preaching. Very, very, uh, I think, significant that this is one of the first, if not the first, of those books in the Blessings of the Faith series. So, David, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Good to be with you. David, I wanted to start with a very basic question. You, in your book, uh, hold up expository preaching as highly significant in the life of the church. At at one point, you actually say that it is is the primary means of grace. And, And so I'm wondering, number one, why is it biblically that you would make that claim that this is the primary means of grace in the life of a Christian? And then maybe you could also explain uh, who who would disagree with that, or what what might the alternatives uh, be? Yeah, expository preaching, preaching of the word, is the primary means of grace because God is a talking God, and He has revealed Himself to us savingly, only in His Word in Holy Scripture. Uh, we have no access to Jesus who is God's last word and the only name under heaven given among men by whom we must be saved, except through the scriptures. And Jesus says that all the scriptures speak about him. So how how can you be faithful as a Christian and not be a Bible person? And how can it be a faithful church and it not be a Bible-centered church? And how can it be preaching, not even just faithful preaching, but preaching of any kind that deserves the name, if it does not seek to say what God says in Scripture? And that, Jonathan, is actually what expository preaching is. Um, The word expository sounds like it might mean a certain style or flavor of preaching, a technique maybe, that someone might prefer over another. And, and I would reject that as a, as a definition. I think expository preaching is simply the commitment to saying what God says in the text of his word, which is to say all preaching, all preaching is and must be expository, though it may be stylistically quite different. Now, your, the second part of your question was about 
who in the world would disagree with that? And you know, I, I I hope in the way that I've tried to frame the first part of my answer, it should leave us all rather scratching our heads if we want to be faithful Christians who, who would want to disagree with that. But sadly, I I think that there are there are many places where that. Um, that's the case. Certainly there are those who reject the proposition that the Bible is the word of God and who continue to call themselves Christians in some sort in liberal churches. Um, and w- when you when you remove the scriptures from the center of the life of the church and the life of the Christian, really what do you have left but but maybe pious platitudes and and, and moralisms? Um, and it's no surprise that those churches are are dying and imploding. They're not really churches at all, after all. But um, even within those who profess to be evangelical Christians, Christians who believe the gospel, there there remains a, a, a temptation in our pulpits to sort of stitch together messages that are centered on perhaps what the preacher thinks the congregation want to hear or need to hear, or what maybe more cynically the preacher hopes will gather a crowd or attract an audience, or or perhaps even just what he believes um, the Lord has quote, led him to say on that, that occasion. And, but it's the center of it is his message, his idea, his plan and he's gone looking for some texts, or sometimes in the worst examples, just one text, one short verse is all that gets read. And then he springboards from there into, a, I won't call it a sermon, but, a, but a, a discussion of his theme, which may or may not be more or less faithful to the general teaching of the Bible. But the congregation wouldn't be able to say whether it is or isn't because the preacher makes no effort to demonstrate that his message comes from the text. I wonder if that, even that way of preaching, David, sort of undermines the evaluation of preaching uh, because that passes for preaching uh, and it sounds more like opinion or therapy. Uh, it, it sort of devalues in the mind of the listener what preaching is. And, that, and then eventually preaching becomes, you, you address this at one point, something like a an outmoded form of communication because we've we've discovered other ways to communicate the message. You deal with this in your book as well, um, the challenge of the modality of preaching uh, in a in an age of sort of um, instant messaging and and podcasts and um, all sorts of um, graphical enhancements uh, to to our presentations uh, that are available to us. Why should we still be preaching uh, as opposed to sort of getting with the times and using some of these other modes of communication? What is the staying power of preaching? If I, if I may add to that, just because it, it dovetails perfectly with something I was going to ask, what about someone who says either that, you know, we have other modalities, but what about the modality of just me and my Bible? So yes, I agree with you. I need to know God through the Bible, but but can I just do that, do that at home? Or as James was saying, do that through, you know, these other more accessible, entertaining, engaging means. Yeah. I'll try to remember all of your, the parts. We, of this is part of the challenge. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, um, I think there are six I, parts to that question. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that are there. There may be there may be three implications. Um, probably there are many more actually, but three come to mind. You both have hit on two. And there's a third. When um, confidence in the Bible is eroded, and confidence in therefore simply explaining the Bible as the work of the preacher is eroded. Certainly, we have to fill the vacuum. And so we go looking for gadgets and trinkets and gimmicks to hold people's attention, to grip their imagination, to inspire or excite or amaze or titillate or, or in some way hook them. And then perhaps the hope will be that somewhere along the way, we'll slip enough gospel in to actually convert them. But someone said, I've heard it variously attributed to Jim Boyce, and I've heard Mark Dever use it, but someone once said, and they're right, that what you win people with is what you win them to. And if you win them with, you know, dry ice and fun and games and movie clips and drama and and silliness if that's why people are there you've got to keep feeding them with that and and you can never transition to the scriptures and this ancient dusty old book that's difficult in places and written in foreign languages in strange idioms using literary genres that are in many cases rather alien to us that's hard work is demanding and it can't compete with the the grand broadway production that that some churches want to want to put on every sunday um so that's one that's certainly one consequence another consequence is and, and there's a, it's deadly for the congregation. They're, they're not receiving the pure spiritual milk of the word by which they might grow, which is what the scripture says you need. Instead, they're receiving junk food. And, and that will ultimately have spiritually disastrous consequences for their health. Um, but there's another consequence, a dangerous consequence for the preacher. Um, when, when the preacher is no longer tethered to and subordinate to and the servant of the text of the scriptures, uh, his word fills the gap. What he says takes on, or at least runs the risk of taking on, its own authority, either in his eyes or perhaps even also in the eyes of the congregation. So it's less and less about what does the Bible say? Is this what God says to me? And more and more about what does the rock star celebrity preacher say? And we hang on his every word and he becomes the center of it all. And uh, we've seen where that can lead um, in some very notable and very uh, distressing um, examples in, in general evangelicalism. Let me springboard off of that, David, if I could. You bring up another point uh, connected to that, um, in the book, you make the argument that the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could comment on that relative to what you just said about the, the pastor sort of um, displacing the authority of scripture with himself 
And yet he has to stand there as an, as an authority and to be, I think, charitably received mm-hmm. as an authority uh, by his listeners. So how is the listener, most, most of our listeners to our podcast are also listeners of sermons. Right. Um, so how should they approach that? Is the preaching of the word of God, the word of God, um, is that something different than just the opinion of man? Um, how, how are we to understand the authority of preaching? Um, as listeners, but then maybe you can say that to preachers as well. That's good. Yeah, so, so the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God insofar as what the preacher says is what the Scriptures say. When the preacher says what the text of the Word of God says, what the preacher says is what God says. Would you include in that the uh, the leading out aspects, um, the in, in terms of explanation yeah, I, as well? So, so there was a, a heresy that arose in 19th century Scotland called Sandemanianism, and one of its quirks was that they didn't preach; they simply read scripture, hmm. um, because of a sort of overblown um, suspicion of of the human contribution in this, this whole discussion, which is really what, what you're hitting on here. But in the scriptures themselves, we are given both the example and the command to do more than just repeat the very word of scripture. We're also called upon to understand what it means. Mm. Uh, there's no help to anyone simply to have the text uninterpreted. Every Christian must know what, what is it God is saying when he says this. And, and in his great kindness, he's given to his elders, pastor, teachers, to shepherd the flock with the word. And it's, it's their job to interpret scripture by scripture um, in dependence upon the illumination of the Holy Spirit uh, and in the fellowship of the whole church so that there's accountability and scrutiny um, and, and in partnership with the church's own reflection across 2,000 years. So that with, with those caveats in place, when the preacher stands up to speak, it's not, he's not reinventing the wheel. He's not, he's, he's not spinning ideas out of thin air. He is providing for the congregation as a good steward things old and new from the storehouse of the word of god um and if he's a faithful shepherd and a faithful steward of the word he'll do that in a way that is not idiosyncratic that is not novel faithfulness means honoring your father and mother and it means honoring your fathers in the faith across the generations who've helped us understand god's word the church has ironed out in many cases most of the most difficult issues in our interpretation of scripture, usually because we've got it horribly wrong along the way somehow, and it's created controversy and there's been a lot of prayer and thought and discussion and debate. And over time, we've had to refine and clarify, and that has helped us articulate truth faithfully. So it, it, with all of that in place, when the, when the preacher is expounding the text, and, and what he says, he, his job is to demonstrate as he preaches that this is not the opinion of David Strain. This is the opinion of the Apostle Paul. And it's not merely his opinion, but it is 
the voice of Christ speaking by his authorized spokesman in his inspired word. And let me show you how that is so. So look at verse one. Now, do you see that word? Here's what it means. Here's how it connects to the rest of the passage. Here's how that passage fits in the flow of the argument of the book and in the thrust of scripture as a whole. Do you all see that? Now, these are the necessary implications of that. That's simply uh, being faithful to the intent of God in his word. So this doesn't relieve us of the obligation to be Bereans uh, as we sure. as we listen, uh, but it, it does come with the obligation to receive the right interpretation of Scripture as the authority of Scripture itself. Right. Amen. David, I have a question that's been on a lot of people's minds, particularly in the last year and a half, which has to do with being physically present mm -hmm. for the preaching of the word. And, and we all know that there are special circumstances in which this becomes impossible for one reason or another. But in general, you make the case that it is important to be physically present for the preaching of the word, that there is a difference and not just a, a, a superficial difference mm. when you're viewing it online or, or listening to a sermon on a podcast as compared with when you're at gathered public worship sitting under the ministry of the word. I wonder if you could tease that out a little bit, because I do think that people who had never thought of that before are now asking that question. And perhaps there are some even listeners who have gotten used to, um, at least initially out of necessity, gotten used to uh, streaming a sermon or listening to it at a different time. And, and maybe that's taking the place of their uh, gathered public worship under the ministry of the word. So could you talk a little bit about why that's important? Yeah, I, well, you're right to say that gathered public worship is, is the vital piece in this, in this discussion. We have, in the kind providence of God, access to the greatest preachers of the century, centuries. Um, and you can go online and listen to magnificent, helpful, edifying Bible teaching from people who are now in heaven, not to mention many of our most faithful and, and, uh, and useful expositors who are alive and serving the church right now from around the world. That's a gift, and I don't want to, I don't want to despise that in any way. But that, that cannot and must not substitute for the role of the local church and the communion of saints and the fellowship of God's people and your pastor and your elders who know you, looking you in the eye and teaching you the Bible. Um, God has intended that preaching be a pastoral act, an act of shepherding love. It's not just an exercise in exposition thrown out there into the ether with, without an audience and without a, a congregation, without a flock that it seeks to feed. It's, it's always intended to have a context, and that context is the fellowship of the believers. And that, that, and, and that, that comes to particular expression on the Lord's Day uh, as we gather for, for corporate worship. There was a season there, and I suspect that in in many places around the country over the last two years, this will have been mirrored in our congregation where 
we were not gathering physically in our sanctuary for worship. And we were doing something, a sort of online approximation of a worship service. And I would, I began to preface the beginning of that so-called service by saying, this is not public worship. Um, but since we're not able to gather right now, at the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't, we didn't know what we were dealing with and people were very afraid and there were, we were extra cautious. And so everyone was staying home and we said, what we're doing is trying to serve you with Bible teaching and with hymns and prayers and, and scripture reading to, to sustain you as best we can until we can come back together. This is at best augmented family worship and private worship, but it's not the gathered corporate worship of the church on the Lord's day. And I believe that gathered corporate worship on the Lord's day is commanded. It's not simply an option. Something has happened in our consumer society that has led us to the perhaps unthinking conclusion, the unexamined assumption that the church is a provider of religious goods and services, and we are consumers, and we attend insofar as it is convenient and helpful to us. And if, quote, I don't get anything out of it, well, that's okay. I can go to the next place down the street. You know, if I don't like, you know, Burger King, I can go to McDonald's. Or, or I, can just, I can just order online. You know, DoorDash comes right to my door. It's the, it's the, it's the, the equivalent of, of that sort of attitude. And that is utterly foreign to the New Testament. And actually, it's foreign to the fathers of the Reformed faith. I think in the book, I, I talk a little bit about David Clarkson's um, extraordinary sermon, Public Worship to be Preferred Before Private, which you can find with a, a simple Google search. It's available for free on the internet. It, it is gold, and, and every serious Christian ought to read it. And not to mention, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's just dripping with great Puritan word pictures, and, and uh, uh, it's, a great, it's a great message, where he makes the point that the center of the Christian life isn't me, Jesus, and my Bible under a tree someplace on my own. It's not even your small group where people are knowing you and holding you accountable and dealing with your, your deep, dark whatevers. It's, it's actually corporate worship in the corporate means of grace, the word read and preached faithfully, the prayers of the people of God, the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper faithfully administered. Those are God's ordained means for the nurture and cultivation of our spiritual health. And a Puritan pastor, if you came to see him, and said, Pastor, I'm really struggling in my Christian life. Temptation is overwhelming me. I'm angry all the time. I'm not praying as I ought. I'm really drifting. And I, I realize I need help. What can, what can you do to help me? I think today most evangelical pastors have been schooled to ask as their first diagnostic question, well, tell me about your quiet times. Um, I, think, I think Clarkson and the, the Puritans would have said, where have you been for the last three months in church on Sunday? No wonder your quiet times are terrible. No wonder temptation seems to overwhelm. No wonder all your graces are weakened and all your vices are strengthened. Why haven't you been at communion under the, at the Lord's table? Where, where have you been? You, 
you've been forsaking the assembling of yourself together. And so everything else flows out of the corporate life of the church, your private devotions, your family devotions, not the other way around. And we have reversed that order to our great detriment. Preaching is the center of that. And so when you rip it from its context, you actually um, rob it of something essential to its own character. It's valuable to go online and listen to that sermon in the abstract, as it were, without context. But it's much better for you. No matter, you might be listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones, you know, the greatest preacher of the 20th century, setting your heart on fire, just moving you and speaking to your heart in a, an extraordinary way. And you're, you know, you're your little pastor in your little church um, is doing his best. And he, he's not Martin Lloyd-Jones. And it's very easy to despise your pastor and love and just say, you know, we'll just listen to another Lloyd-Jones sermon this Sunday. But I would say that, that your struggling pastor who loves you and knows you and is seeking to be faithful to you, even though he may not have the gifts of a Martin Lloyd-Jones, is God's means for your growth in a way that he never intended that Martin Lloyd-Jones would be. And, and when you're listening to Lloyd-Jones instead of your pastor in your church where you're supposed to be committed, I think you are sinning, you are disobeying, and you ought not to expect the blessing and favor of God. Well, I can't really envision a better uh, note for us to end on than that. Thank you for that exhortation, but also uh, thanks for for coming on and answering some of these questions. We really commend this little book. It is a very short, accessible book. And, and by the way, the Clarkson um, reference that you make in the book, it, it's it's the perfect compliment. And so we'd urge our listeners to to look that up as well. So David, thanks for giving us some time today. We really appreciate it. And thanks for your labors in the gospel, both in this book and and in your in your regular expositional uh, ministry of expositional preaching. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. James, David's last couple of minutes there, I think, were were pure gold. And and I think they they captured something that we need to emphasize about the book. In fact, when we were talking with David off the air, we had this conversation, but I'm not I'm not sure reflecting on what he said if it came through as much as it could have. This isn't really a book for preachers. Preachers will benefit from it, but that's not the intended audience. It's really for Christians who are in congregations, and it's saying, here's the importance of expository preaching for your life. And in fact, even that last chapter that has to do with uh, how to listen to expository preaching, that's the chapter I've received the most comments on from people who have read the book. Right. The, the, the person in the pew should have as much interest in expository preaching as the man in the pulpit. Uh, and there's a sense in which I think David raises the bar of expectation. Um, he helps, he helps the, the churchmen uh, really, really know what to expect and even what to, in a certain sense, demand, though he does give some counsel on how to approach your pastor. If your pastor is not committed to expository preaching, what should you do? How can you encourage your pastor uh, to this end? Um, because this is because this is a means of grace, it's not simply a means of grace for the minister. It's a means of grace for those that are receiving it. And so there's some, we should, we should know what to expect 
uh, from the preaching ministry. And this is a book uh, that's going to help us do that. Yeah. And so we would recommend this uh, as well to all of our listeners, because all of us are are supposed to be sitting under the preaching of the word. This is an, an important, even vital part of our, our Christian lives. And this is a short book. It's an accessible book, as are all the books in this Blessings of the Faith series. If you'd like to enter for a chance to win a copy of this book, Expository Preaching and the Blessings of the Faith series by PNR, you can go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link, and there'll be a drop-down menu for you to enter your information for that. Also, if you know someone who might be helped either by this book or by this podcast, please pass it along. We love hearing from new listeners, and we love uh, hearing that there are uh, new listeners out there. We know that from the statistics, as best we can tell, we are uh, seeing a significant increase in listeners. And and uh, and so whatever we can do to be a benefit to them, we want to be able to do. Also, uh, if you're able to donate to um, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, uh, you can do that at alliancenet.org or at placefortruth.org. They're very easy ways to navigate through in both of those sites. And as always, we want to say thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Man was made in God's image in order to reflect the character and beauty of our Creator. Join us for Made in God's Image, the 2022 Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology, March 11th through 13th in Grand Rapids and April 29th through May 1st in Philadelphia. This year's sessions will present clear biblical teaching on man's nature and calling, the vital matter of human sexuality, and the purpose and identity provided to us by our Maker. Featuring H.B. Charles, Dan Doriani, Terry Johnson, Jonathan Gibson, and Richard Phillips. For complete information and to register now, log on reformedevents.org. That's reformedevents.org. Don't miss the learning, the worship, the fellowship of the 2022 Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology, March 11th through the 13th in Michigan, April 29th through May 1st in Pennsylvania, presented by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals.